In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Shoot it! We deliver tickets, team merchandise, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. Welcome to the Daily Miffian Grizzlies podcast, where the tip-off of the NBA season is only hours away as we record, but the Grizzlies, like most of the association, will wait until Wednesday. The Grizzlies open Wednesday night in Miami and then come home for their home opener Friday night against the visiting Chicago Bulls. I'm Chris Harrington. I'm joined again this week by colleagues Jeff Hawkins and Don Wade to welcome the 19th season of NBA basketball in Memphis. What's up, guys? How are you? I'm good. Is it 19? It's not. Yeah, because next it's season. It's not 20? This well, year, why are they doing this anniversary? No, no they're doing It's a two-year thing. So this year oh, is the 25th exactly. anniversary of the franchise. That's they're doing it. the Vancouver and throwbacks. And next year is the 20th anniversary. And next year will be the 20th year in Memphis, and they're doing the Grizzlies throwbacks. Right. I always do want to pause just for a minute and reflect on, we'll do it more when it's 20 than 19. Right. Yeah. It is astonishing that people used to think this franchise was going to leave after five years or two years or one year or four years or whatever else. And here we are at 19. They recently had a bring back the NBA to Vancouver game, which was sold out. It was sold out. And there are still some diehards who – who don't like the, the Memphis is using the Vancouver uniform and court and whatever, but which is understandable, which is totally understandable. Yeah, I, I, yeah absolutely understandable. Um, but anyway, at 19 years, it's it's uh, it's quite something, and it feels almost like we're beginning again. Um, there is this willowy power forward, uh, and there right. is this um, electric ball handling point guard, and there is the prospect of a lot of losses and uh, and an adventure ahead of us. Hopefully, it'll. Yeah, the di- the difference is that the ages are aligned of those two players this right. time, where they weren't before. You're referencing Paul Gasol and Jason Williams, and that team, um, that team was sort of set up, I think to get decent more quickly than this team because of sort of the veteran role players that they had. But Powell was sort of by himself in terms of a cornerstone piece and never I mean, really he had Shane. He had a, he had another all rookie player. Come he, on. He was, he was, no, no, no. In terms of a superstar, he is not John ja Morant. I'm not saying that. I mean, but he wasn't by, he wasn't even, that, a, wasn't even a borderline all-star. Right. Shane Battier was a role player. Shane Battier is the fourth or fifth best player on a, on a, I, on a good team. I agree. Shane Battier uh, was not even the starter on the Hubie Brown 50 win team. He got he got moved to the bench because they signed James Posey and James Posey was better. Right. I'm not trying to character no, no, right, 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 right. no. but he's not I'm just John Moran. He Jared was on Jackson the all rookie team that year. There were there yeah. were he was not alone. And then honestly, if Lorenzen isn't Lorenzen, I mean, if you a big burly veteran center who 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 plays that role, who they have a veteran there too here. I mean, in in Jonas is yeah. is Lorenzen Jonas, and I mean, I actually think the, the Jonas it lines up yeah. pretty well. Um, now, mind you, that team, yes, that team got in the playoffs second year, third year, third, third year. year, third year. That team got in the playoffs third year. I don't expect this team to get in the, but I don't rule it out completely. No, but I think that that third year is when you're hoping there's there's a real Approval. jump forward, yeah. right? Um, well, that was spirited, spirited right down memory little, lane. Little Chris with his agenda against Shane Battier right no, off the I top. Just, no, I like people. People just from the day Battier got here, people always wanted to make him more <laughs> than he, what he actually was. He was a good player, but he was not, you know. 
there, there's a reason James Posey started when they when they became a playoff team. Um. Anyway, this yes. year's Grizzlies. Yes. Um. What have we seen in preseason? What 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 do we think we learned? What do we think we not I think learned? Brandon what Clark are... can be a lot like Shane Battier. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Go ahead, Don. You take over. <laughs> wow, that's like trying to follow an animal act or something, right? <laughs> I don't think I can do that. Um. Look, there are going to be. Just like with that first team, and you could come to the arena and you never knew what Jason Williams might do that would make you go, wow, good or bad. There's going to be an element of that with this team. And John Morant's going to have at least a couple of top 10 highlight moments every single night he plays. He's also going to get stuffed at the rim some. Yep. And I think one thing that hasn't been talked about much is how is the rest of the league going to react and defend John Morant because if you think about what they what the rest of the league did with Mike Conley try to bother him and make him uncomfortable as you know Mike Conley went so went the Grizzlies there's an element of that that's going to be true here with John Morant and he's basically what Mike Conley was at the beginning about 175 pounds teams are going to throw him around and try to beat him up because even in the best case scenario if Josh playing well half court offense is going to be challenging you bother John Morant, how are they going to score? I mean, that's a real question. Yeah, I mean, I think one one of the – no, I agree. Um, I think one of the encouraging things in the preseason was they did all the talk about letting it fly and the three-pointers. That hasn't really materialized yet. But they are playing much faster than they did last season, in preseason. I think that everything's going to slow down. But they are going to play much faster than they have in the last few years. And they scored more than 20 points a game on the break. And, like, that'll tamp down, too. But they're going to have to score in transition um, to generate much offense. Because you're right, when they get into the half court, like, I, I think, you know, Alan Junis is going to change the complexion of that a little bit. But it is an issue. I, I think, and I think they're going to be really dependent on their point guards creating shots, both both John Morant and Tyus Jones. Not creating shots for themselves, but more so creating shots for other right. people. Um you know, it'll be interesting to see these first two games because I think it's a pretty good – I mean, Miami is a really physical, hard-nosed team, and so maybe like they'll, they'll they'll rough up Morant a little bit, but not at point guard. They could start Gordon Drogic at point guard. He's like a 30-year-old. That's a pretty good matchup, I think, for John Morant. And then they'll play Chicago here back in Memphis, and, and point guard is – they're big, but they're not that good at point guard. That's sort of a weakness of, of that team too. So I, I think Morant will be able to get his feet wet a little bit before – like he's dealing with like elite point guard defenders in the league. Yeah. I find it um I think it's just such a mystery because for the reason you said, we don't know what it's gonna look like with Jonas in the lineup. Yeah. And no. so I mean, I look at this team and I think I thought your preview was superb, uh, Chris, and just sort of what to expect, how bad this could look at various times and how good this would how fun much fun it could look at various times. But I just think they're gonna be really bad. It, it, but part of that is from my impression of the pre. I, I have my expectations coming into it, but then you see it unfold in the preseason, and and I think Jonas really is a stabilizing force, in particularly in terms of that half court and just productivity. And and what will they look like? What will Jaron Jackson Jr. look like when he has Jonas playing next to him? We just haven't seen it at all. Well, they only played together twice right. last season. Um, to me, that is the big mystery because it's not just. Putting Jonas Valanciunas, who missed the entire preseason, in the lineup will have a catalytic effect 
like in terms of what on everyone else in terms of the roles they play and the rotations. And, you know, you look at Jaron Jackson Jr., who I think had a middling preseason. I think even by his own essentially acknowledgement in practice yesterday, he didn't have a great preseason strengths and weaknesses. Um, he played all of it at center. And so he's not going to play all of it at center when the season starts. And and I tried to ask him and Taylor Jenkins about sort of how that's going to impact his role. And they didn't really say anything, but like what they should have said was, well, he's not going to guard Steven Adams to start games. Right. He's not going to guard like against Miami. I presumably he won't be guarding Bam at a bio. He, he will be on Kelly Olenek. He'll be matched up with Laurie Markkinen. He's going to be matched up with these power forwards, a little more finesse oriented. And how does that impact his game? Does that help him offensively getting shots around the basket? Does that make him a less foul prone because he's not, you know, at the rim as much? Um, does that like what does that do for him? And then how did how does this offense, which is placed so much five out, function with two seven footers in the lineup? And we we really don't know. Let's be clear: let it fly is more than ju- just hoisting three pointers. But that said, I think the big danger is. If they don't shoot the three well, and there's nobody on this team that's got a track record of right. you know volume threes north of 36%. That guy doesn't exist. So if you have multiple players getting kind of the Tony Allen treatment, yeah, go ahead, let it fly. You've got a real problem. That's going to be a problem with, you know, I, I can't see Tyus Jones and John Morant playing much together because you don't have to respect either three-pointer. It's not really proven right. that you do. Grayson Allen can get hot. He can be cold. We are yet to see Marco Guterich look like, you know, his international three-point shooting reputation. Dylan Brooks tends toward the hot and cold. Yeah. Um, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. can step out and hit a three, but, like, he's not going to be your go-to three-point shooter. So, you know, that's a, a concern. That's, you know, you can see everybody collapsing in when, you know, Jonas and, and Jaron are, are on the floor together. If there's nobody they fear. I'll actually be interested, and it's not something I ever wrote about. I'd be interested to see at the end of the season who has attempted the most three-point shots for this team. Crowder, if he's here the whole time. Well, if Crowder gets the minutes. <laughs> Crowder, he Crowder, loves to shoot. Crowder will, will th- at every opportunity, will take a three. Right. You're right. If if he gets the minutes and he's here all season, it wouldn't shock me if it is Jaron Jackson Jr. because he'll get the minutes and because I think he's going to take like five, five threes a game. And I'm not sure that anyone else who could – shoot at that volume is going to play enough minutes to shoot at that volume. I think Crowder only needs about a quarter and well, a half you may to be get right. five up. Yeah, he, he definitely – he came in with that mentality of, of volume three-point shooting. I, I don't know how good of a shooter he is. History suggests he's not. Um, I think Dylan Brooks – I mean, we said this before when this, everything started. The road's wide open for Dylan Brooks if he can find that consistency, which sort of brings up to the question of we don't know who's going to start – other than Ja Morant, Jared Jackson Jr., and presumably Jonas Valanciunas. We assume Jay Crowder, or that has not been official. Who do we think should start? Um, who do we think will start? Do we What are opinions about sort of what the rotation should be on this team? Oh, I think you've said this. I don't think it particularly matters who starts, but I think Dylan Brooks is the obvious person who should start for reasons of seniority and and he has accomplished something in the league more so than Grayson Allen right so um I think he should start but I I think um what's interesting is is because the shooting cupboard is so bare and because everybody sees an opportunity I do think 
therefore people are trying to play outsized roles, whether that's right. Dylan Brooks or whether it's Jay Crowder or whatever else. Everyone's like, oh, no one can shoot on this team. Let me do it. And so um, it's that balance that you talk about with Dylan. Um, and you get the sense that there's a real willingness to go with Grayson if they if they need to. Uh, and so, um, you know, it seems to me to be pretty obvious. Brandon Clark is obviously the first big, and we know the first backup the backup point guard is. And then it'll be, I presume, Grayson, I'll, I'll be interested to see how Kyle Anderson figures into all of this. Right. I don't know how Kyle Anderson think, is going to figure into all of this. I think he was, I think Taylor Jenkins was, you know, kind of giving Dylan Brooks a little bit of a message when he started Grayson Allen yeah. in the third preseason. It's like, hey, this, you still got to earn this, man. Right. And so I think he will probably start Dylan Brooks. And I think there's an advantage to having Grayson Allen on the second unit because. Tyus Jones is obviously not as athletic as John Morant. Grayson Allen will bring a little more athleticism, a little more playmaking, uh, I think, to the second unit. Hopefully some shooting, too. But I think you've got a little bit more versatility with that alignment. I, I think – so So my assumption, I think the Kyle Anderson thing, I'm going to circle back to that because how many guys is he going to play in a rotation? That's what we right. don't know, right? He'll play at least eight, but like how many will it be? So if he plays eight – you're going to have Morant and Tyus Jones as your, as your point guard. You'll have Dylan Brooks and Grayson Allen as your twos. Um, it looks like Jay Crowder will start at the three. You'll have Jaron Jackson, Jonas Valanciunas, your starting bigs. Brandon Clark, I think, will be your third big. So there's eight, right? Yeah. I think everyone assumes those eight right. are in the rotation. right? And so, and then you have, I think, three guys um, who are potentially in the rotation, and that would be Kyle Anderson, who can be a wing or a big, Marco Gudurich, Guderich, Marco Guderich, who is a wing, and Brandon Clark. I mean Bruno Caboclo, who they've made a big right. And because of Kyle Anderson's versatility, if you're going to play a ten man rotation, you could pick any two of those three and make it work. I sort of think they should just play eleven because, like, why not? What's the point? But I think Kyle Anderson, if he's available, and Taylor Jenkins said he was, I think he should play. I think Kyle Anderson is a better basketball player than Jay Crowder. I don't know if he should start just because of I don't know. I haven't really thought through like what combinations work best. I think Kyle Anderson's the most underrated player on this team. Right. The, the, that's, I'm, that's a the, minority the, opinion, the, I think. The, but. I don't disagree. The problem is fit with the style of play and with the right. guys who are on, on the line. If you put Kyle, line, Kyle Anderson instead of Jay Crowder, um, there's another, He is not the there, guy spot he's not, he's not going to shoot him. So right. I, I do agree. He is a better basketball player, but is he a better basketball? And he's also, by the way, a part of the future or co- a conceivable part of future. Under contract whereas two more Jay years after this one. Jay Crowder's not. So, Don't right. you think Kyle's going to be more willing to kind of wait his turn than – than Crowder. I mean, Crowder's Crowder oh, yeah. turn yeah. to start. No, I'm, I'm not even worried. You know, you've I'm got that even, whole element, too. Like, you know, you don't want to start off making waves where you don't have to make waves. I'm not even arguing Anderson should start. Right. I'm arguing he should be in the rotation. Right. And I, I do think he is, um, he is to me, he's one of the better players on the team, assuming we'll see where his I think he's looked pretty good in the preseason. We'll see where he goes with the shoulder. Um, we're going to take a break right now for a word from our sponsors. The Daily Mimpy and Grizzlies podcast is brought to you by FedEx. Possibilities. What we deliver by delivering. But to get back to the rotation, I also think Bruno, I mean, Bruno, to me, has looked good in the preseason. Not consistent all the time, but he's looked comfortable shooting the three. Um, To me, I think the transition to make him like a small ball center, which I think you can do off the bench when you're not playing against, you know, Joel Embiid or whatever, has actually looked pretty good. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't worry too much about where the minutes are going to come from because Jaron's going to get in foul trouble. So he'll provide some minutes for yeah. these guys that way. That's just true, I think. Yeah, we'll see. That's been a disappointment, I think, in these preseason games is sort of his foul rate. Um, but he's been playing center 
and it's preseason, and we'll see. You know, does he calm down? Did the whistles calm down? Because we saw so many tra- so many carrying calls and traveling calls all through the preseason. So I just, so I, I wonder if like all that will settle down a little bit in a month into the season. It won't be quite as big of a deal, but we'll see. Only you, time will tell on in that. In your preseason preview uh, that was up at the Daily Mafia, people can go read it. You had various predictions, and you you described this as what you thought it would be a season of consolidation for Jaron Jackson Jr. Explain. Well, if you remember, if you look back two years ago, um, now I can't even remember who, who did. Ben Simmons won Rookie of the Year, I think. It was been, the top three were Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum in the Rookie of the Year race right. two, two years ago. So those were the top three second-year players coming into the NBA last season. They all had good seasons. None of them took the big step forward people thought they would. Oh, none yeah. Of, people people thought did. Jason Tatum was going to last year emerge full-blown yeah. as a superstar, and he did not. Right. Now, De'Aaron yeah. Fox, who was bad as a rookie, took a big step forward right. in year two. But the top three second-year players coming into last season all had good seasons. None of them took the big step forward. But none of them, maybe Tatum, but generally none of them sort of altered their trajectory. Everyone thinks like they're all-stars or they're whatever. I think we forget – Still, how young Jaron Jackson Jr. is. He's the youngest player on this team, like right, right now. Right. He's the young. This, we, this is one. This is the only team in the NBA without an active player over the age of thirty. I'm setting aside Andre Iguodala, who will never play for the Grizzlies. They every player is under thirty. They're one of. They're a full, in a full rebuild mode. They're by by all accounts going to be one of the five worst teams in the league. Like super young, the baby Grizzlies, whatever. The youngest player in this. They have three rookies. The youngest player in this team is Jaron Jackson Jr. Um. He's so young. He's still growing into his body and into his skill set um, that I don't assume that he will take a – I think he will – he'll average more points next season. He'll average more rebounds next season. But I don't expect necessarily the enormous leap forward. And I don't – I think that if it doesn't come next season, that doesn't mean it's not coming. How much do you lay – He won't even be 21 at the end it'll of the be season. A, do you think it will be – it's interesting because I think – if he doesn't take that big step, it will be perceived yes. as a dis. Oh, what's wrong? We thought Jaron Jackson Jr. And part a, of the- he's not. He doesn't put up the kind of numbers to look superstar anyway. And, and then secondly, the kind of highlights. That's right. going to be there. There's there's the danger of a Jaron Jaw thing, where like Jaw's the new hero and Jaron's the disappointment because Jaw's making the highlight plays that makes everyone ooh and ah. Right. And Jaron's not, but they're both games of still developing. Like Jaws' jump shot is a work in progress, and Jaron's physical development and 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 de- defending without fouling is a work in progress. And they're both things that probably will take two or three years to like clear up. But Jaron, Jaron will like be a big man who makes threes and will make good rotations and play good defense. And like that doesn't get people excited. And like the highlight pass and the dunk is what gets people excited. And there, I hope that doesn't happen. But there's a real danger that that I sort of becomes a narrative. Too, yeah. Yes, we've also got a rookie head coach in Taylor Jenkins. So two part question for you guys: How much do you put the development of Ja and Jaron on Taylor in terms of how you judge Taylor? And then what else do you need to see from him as a rookie head coach, given that it's such a young team? Oh, I think that is the number one item on his job description is developing John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr. Like by far, that is the number one, those two things in unison. But I don't think that's like a day-to-day evaluation of him as a coach. Like I think, I mean, you know, I think we have to be careful and be patient in in tracking that progress. But I do think that is the number one item on his personal job description is making those two players over time the best NBA players they can so be. So how then do you, how do you, judge what how he is doing at that there were moments we've had coaches before i mean 
there were moments where you sort of realized that Mark Ivoroni was in over his head, did not know what. Well, he that's was up a little to. bit different, right, whatever. I so, mean, that- um, at what point do you? Re- yeah, at what point? And honestly, like you look at Jerry. I'm, we're not taking instant snapshots. If right. you took one of the preseason, you'd go, Taylor Jenkins, how are you developing Jaron Jackson Jr.? Right. So how do we know if he's doing an effective job at develop, at, at developing? I always have a, a question anyway of how much is the organization and the coach responsible for developing a player and how much would the player have developed himself, whatever. But how does one make that analysis? I mean, I think it's, I think it's hard to – I mean – it's a gradual thing and it's over. You have to take it in a longer sample than like what happens right. tomorrow night. But I think you look at where do you want these players to go and are they sort of making steps in that direction? And with Jaron Jackson Jr., like his three point rate doubled in the preseason. And I know like people say, oh, he fouled out of these games. That is a sign of development. That is right. a sign if you're taking this guy who, if he's going to be a major impact player in the NBA, it's going to be partly because he's a seven foot defender who can be a volume three point shooter. And you're, you, they doubled the volume so far without much decrease in, in the efficiency. Like That's like a sign of, of development. Is the foul stuff going to get better? Is he developing physically? Um, do, is, is he bought in? Does he stay bought in? Um, with John Morant, the shooting thing, I don't – like Taylor Jenkins told me himself, like that may be something we, we address next summer. Like right. next summer. Like, you know. And so I, th- I, think, I think even though developing those two players is the most important thing – on his to-do list, it is hard to evaluate that day-to-day. And so the other part of what you bring up by Veroni, there's just the sense, and it's sort of an intangible thing, like do people believe, are people picking up what he's putting down? Like do people, is there a belief in him? Does he seem like he's in control of things and he knows what what he's doing? Or do people sort of like roll their eyes and say, well, this guy. It's just a sense you got, and you got it with Mark Averoni. To me, when you're looking at talented young players and you're saying, are they progressing? It's can you see them maintain their aggression while also learning more patience? You know, right now, Jaron Jaron Jackson Jr. fouls too much because he's not patient defensively. That's part of it. It's just a lack of of patience, of feeling I have to do something. So he reaches and does too much. When John Morant I, I, gets in trouble driving, I, I will ended. stop this person from scoring on every play. Right? Not I will like make them take a harder you, shot, and we'll see what happens. And like you know, it's it, it takes a while to learn your limitations while not also using that to kind of bail yourself out. Right? You've still got to push, but you got to realize there is a line there somewhere. And in this situation versus that situation, I need to back up from that line. That Speak- takes time. Speaking of, of patience, I think one of the intriguing things will be to watch. Obviously, we've watched some uninspired basketball over the last two years as a city, right? I think the idea, philosophically, people understand this is going to be a slow process and there are going to be ugly moments, etc. The nature of fandom, and I'm not even I'm not exempting myself, is not to be patient and to immediately. Why is Taylor Jenkins? Why are they shooting so many right. threes? They're not making threes. Why isn't Jaron getting more action at the rim? He's not doing that. Why isn't Taylor can't coach? Jaron's a bust. We got we got to stop shooting so many threes. Like I can just see this. People forget how depressing and demoralizing at times bad basketball can be and so i do wonder how we i wonder how this whole thing is go- i'm curious as to how the whole this, this this thing is going to go from that perspective because and then how internally how they will hold up under that as people are shrieking I, about this or i that. do think the expectation level is now at a play and i you're right that people in the moment 
But I think it's worse if it's bad basketball in the moment where you think you're winning 42 games. Right, right. I, I do think there's a little more leash because I think, and I think it's maybe only fairly recently that people finally come around to this, that like right. they are supposed to be the worst team in the conference, right? I remember on your radio show like last spring, I remember saying that like people got to understand when the overriders come out, they will be projected to be the worst team in right. the West. And I think even at that time, that people didn't, didn't quite grasp that. Um, I think everyone understands Oh, they were still with, now. yeah, bring Jonas back. We could be really good. Like, look right. at that, the way they won some games at the end of last year. Right, and they're right, talking right, about right. bring this group. Yeah, we really know. I think the summer has gone in a way, it really couldn't have gone better in the sense that they were always going to be bad. But I think now people, to a, to a, at least to a degree, have accepted and internalized the badness, at least to start the season, right. and yet are excited because of Jesus. John Jaron and sort of those pieces in place. And so... Can, can you can you thread that needle of accepting bad but excited about the future like for 82 games well, maybe I mean, not. Dallas last year was fun right don't you think probably oh, yeah. Dallas was fun because you got they, they lost lots of games but you got Luca like I think Atlanta one was overall you'd take that year right yep. uh, um and so that's what you want and I do think that probably the fan bases understood and appreciated that um you know what it looked like in Sacramento but I see Sacramento was a point where they wanted to start winning and so that's slightly at a it's a slightly different right. stage than in the life cycle of a franchise I think this is not a bad year in the life cycle of a franchise so do we think John Morant's going to be rookie of the year now that Zion Williamson's going to miss two months I'd probably stop a little bit short of that just because I do think he's going to have so much attention on him from, right. from the other teams. I, I mean, it's not out of the question, but I'd, I'd I would stop say no. I, I guess I assume that Zion is going to come back and that if he does come back and he even has a half of a year that looks like preseason looked like, I think people will say, okay, he should be rookie of the year. He is the signature rookie of this year. He's if he's doing what he did in preseason, and there's no reason to think he won't. That's if he comes back ultimately healthy, and obviously that's the long term. If you're in New Orleans right now, you're wondering if Zion ever will be. I'll be interested to see if he plays half a season. What? Because you're talking to someone who's still mad that Joel Embiid was not rookie of the year three years ago, even though we only played 30 games. Right. Like Malcolm Brogdon won rookie right. of the year, and he played like 70. But that's different. He didn't and come I thought, with like, the- What are we doing? Like, do you want to look back in 20 years at the list of rookie <laughs> of the year Malcolm winners, Brogdon. and it's Malcolm Brogdon and not Joel Embiid? Like, what are we talking about? But the difference is, is that people didn't have the anticipation you did because you're a a uh you're a uh appreciate big the big man but right. people didn't have there wasn't this hunger to see joel Embiid that there was to see zion and i think if zion i do think half a year gets him whatever if he averages 23 points a game then we have something like that whatever during the yeah. during the if he averages 23 points a game in half a year and is doing what he did um i think he's a rookie of the year i think i think john morant is gonna have a good rookie season and a great career I think it is more likely a discussion emerges about maybe not so much in Memphis, but broadly, um, is it possible so and so was really the second best player in the draft than there uh, is the John Morant's rookie of the year? That Darius Garland gets healthy and he's like he's braining twenty four footers off the dribble, right. which is what you're supposed to do as a guard in the NBA in 2019. Yeah. And people are like, you know, John Morant's spectacular, but is that is that the guy you win with? I think it's more likely that that discussion happens than John Morant runs away with rookie of the year. Well, he, he's going to make some fantastic passes to people that are open in the corner, and the shots aren't going to go down. Right? right? There are right. going to be a lot of assists uh, left on the table. Yeah, there will be assists left on the table. That is absolutely true. Um, well, and then will Brandon Clark be on the all rookie team in one way, shape or form? I think there's a reasonable chance he will be. Oh yeah. I think he'll be in the mix. I, I, I actually think this rookie class, 
it's not as loaded at the top as last year's, but I think it's pretty deep. I think there's going to be lots of players taken later who are going to be pretty good right away. I think Matisse Thybul coming off the bench for the Sixers is going to be good. I think Ty Jerome with Phoenix will be good. I think Carson Edwards with Boston will be good. Um, I think Tyler Harrow is going to be really good for Miami. But I do think Brandon Clark will be in that conversation of, like, these guys are good right away. Right. Um, and so I, I think that's a possibility. And that would be the first time since O.J. Mayo and Marcus All if they have two all-rookie team members. Um, we're getting a little late on time. Let's some final predictions. I, I, I'm i on the record for 26 wins for the Memphis Grizzlies, last place in the Western Conference. You guys want to want to be on the record? I'll say uh, I'll say 20. I'm torn between 23 or 24. I'll say uh, 23 wins. I think they're going to be really pretty horrific. Um, so I'll go 23. I'll say 25. I think there'll be a couple cheap wins at the end when people are resting players. Wow, I'm the most optimistic of the bunch. Um, yeah. it, uh, to me, honestly, the, the part of it, and it goes back to Jonas, like he is worth, he, he was not, he's not just a missing piece. When he was on the court last year, he was the most productive player. He was the central piece. I don't know what it's going to look like. I do believe Jonas can get some big games and carry him to some of those cheap wins, but we just haven't seen it. And so, are they going to play him in a way that, are they gonna, yeah, that, that are they, lets I, him I don't do know that. how that all is going to unfold. Right. So I'm, I'm going with 23. All right. Um, I, I don't know if you guys want to make any other NBA-wide predictions. I got I got Clippers over Sixers in the finals. I got Mike Conley's Utah Jazz as the number one seed in the West, but coming up short in the playoffs. Um, anybody, I just, anybody? I just want to see conflict. I want to see the I want to see <laughs> of, the, of the Zebo Kendrick Perkins guy. Well, yeah, I want to see the Clippers and Lakers since they're going to shove them down our throat. Right, that's what the NBA is going to do. I want to see them hate each other. I want to see Kawhi Leonard. Uh, make a fool of somebody. I want to see the Houston Rockets implode. You know, that's my short. I, I will say list. that I do think it's the most interesting NBA season in a long time. Um, I'm so glad that the days of the Golden State Warriors as preeminent are over, and that the, I can imagine all kinds of different scenarios. I'd probably go Lakers uh, over Bucks, but uh, there's. There are literally, you know, five or six teams in the You're really making a hill turn. You get the Grizzlies at 23 wins and the Lakers winning the title. Well, I know, but it's partly because (laughs) I expect the worst in sports. I'm from Buffalo. (laughs) So I just go ahead and inoculate myself against it by predicting the worst. Um, uh, For Jeff, for Don, uh, I'm Chris Harrington. This has been the Daily Miffy and Grizzlies podcast. Thanks to the OEM Network and Gil Worth. Thanks to Natalie Van Gundy on the ones and twos. You can subscribe to the site at Daily Miffy and follow us on Twitter at Facebook. And um, subscribe to these podcasts wherever you get your pods, including Apple Music, um, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. The ruling on the field stands. We deliver jerseys, funny foam fingers, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.